So I think a great place for us to start, I feel like time is really starting to fold in on itself. Every single episode, it's like, well, we were talking about this last week or two weeks ago, and now it's completely developed um, exactly (laughs) the way we were hoping it wouldn't and thought it might. And it's even worse. Surprise. (laughs) It's funny. I think it was like end of March, uh, Ahib and Blue Cross Blue Shield sent this first letter to Congress with a couple of suggestions. And then about a week ago on April 8th, they sent a second letter. And now of a sudden it's law or well, proposed it's law. law. It's yeah. a bill. Um, it's a it's a Vox exclusive uh, tip into uh, the, the thinking of the Democrats into wait, where they're going to this... go legislatively for phase four. So, it was an exclusive? What? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I exclusive think, really big on the top. Who are you There's... wearing? Welcome to the Death Panel, the flagship podcast of the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission. (laughs) (laughs) So if you'd like to support the show and get a second episode every week, then go ahead and become a patron, patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. Anyways, I mean, the background of this is like what? That um, there was that report that came out, was it last week that Vox was sort of all over? It was like, oh yeah, 35 million people could lose their employer-sponsored insurance uh, mm-hmm. during, yeah. uh, you know, when, when unemployment ultimately does creep up to 25% and what, how many people have lost it already? 3.5 million conservatively. That's probably a low, low estimate, right? Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. At sounds, least I'm sure. Yeah. And so like, it's hard to you know, say. Then of course, last week we got the Biden, uh, don't worry, we're going to lower the Medicare <laughs> age to 60. <laughs> and then the question Ooh. is like, What's going to be the congressional Democrats like next play, which, of course, was a question no one was asking because they never made it clear that they were even going to make one. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the expectations were pretty low. Yeah. And it's like well, they hold people to low expectations. Then they plagiarize. Right? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's just a really busy Um, I don't know, doing like in-person town halls with all their constituents to make sure that they're all okay. Mm. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) You know, while while they've all been working hard on recess, reorganizing their pantries for the most part, they just... James Corden, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they just completely ripped um, AHIP and Blue Cross Blue Shield's recommendations and and turned it into a bill which would extend uh, and expand COBRA subsidies instead of providing comprehensive health care for the people who have been laid off as a result of coronavirus. Yeah. They're going to just make their shitty employer sponsored health care that is super expensive now that it's Cobra a little bit less painful. Mm-hmm. This is so characteristic of Democratic Party policy, I feel like, uh, not only in the fact that it's, you know, as B mentioned, basically literally carbon copied from this AHIP letter, um, which is the uh, the big... Um, health insurance lobby, um, Mm -hmm. essentially, but also just in the fact that, okay, so like, I I mean, I feel like this could have a bigger impact, but I think a lot of people don't really know what Cobra is. Yeah, So maybe we could talk about that for a second. It's the genius of Cobra, actually. Um, I don't know what it stands for. (laughs) Does anyone know what it stands for? It stands for the Consolidated Omnibus, uh, Consolidated Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act. Oh my God. Are you fucking serious? (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's, wait. that's a law from um, 1980. Wait, wait, wait. So it's just called Cobra because it was from a budget reconciliation act. They yeah. never gave it a real name. Absolutely. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, this is, this bespeaks, this is, oh. this is we actually already important. Are in hell. Yeah. This, no, this really. bespeaks the level of political imagination that surrounds this kind of thinking about public policy. Absolutely. Well, uh, yeah. And also, it's also just the fact that like this, th- it proves that this program was literally never designed to work well at all. Right. I mean, like, it doesn't even seem like it was designed just to circle back to what it actually is. Fair. Uh, I survived on Cobra for many years. And it's essentially that when you lose your job, it's almost like gap insurance, except right. for your employer doesn't contribute their portion. So, right. Um, so it's much more expensive. And sometimes it can come with other weird restrictions, but it's sort of like a short term stop gap, like a lot of chronically ill people like myself, um, when you're switching jobs and you're maybe switching insurances, you will go on Cobra for a couple of months because you cannot wait to vest in your new insurance. So you're mm-hmm. kind of like double fucked, but it's, it's really for like emergencies only. Right. I mean, like to, to maybe boil it down a little bit. Um, and for, for instance, like our listeners outside of the United States, right. If you're someone living in the United States and you're able to go to the doctor, that probably means that you're employed um, and that you have a you have insurance uh, like health insurance through an employer. Um, If like a extremely high amount of Americans um, right now due to uh, coronavirus and the fundamental economic fragility of our uh, current system as designed. Um, if you have lost your job, one of the avenues available to you is to pay an excessive amount of money that you no longer have because you are no longer employed to extend the health insurance plan that you once had through your employer past and in, into it like a couple months after that, which is Cobra. So it's like, yeah, what? like you when you were on it, it was what, like a thousand dollars a month or something more, more than that. 13, yeah. 13, it basically always is like over a thousand dollars, though. I remember when I was like briefly on it, it was like twelve hundred bucks a month. Yeah, it's yeah. like the yeah. classic yeah. American product. It's pub food. You pay <laughs> a shit ton for it and it sucks. That's like every <laughs> American product. Yeah. And it's detrimental to your health too, right. probably. Yes. Yeah. Um, really is. Yeah. <laughs> I was basically I probably wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Cobra because when I turned 26, I was not able to get a job that wanted to hire a disabled person with high medical costs and put yeah. them on their health insurance. So, I was very lucky because I couldn't buy a plan on the New York State Exchange that would cover biologics, and you still can't, by the way. But, you know, if when my COBRA ran out, like, I was basically fucked until I got my disability. I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't had it. That said, it is absolutely the exact opposite of what you need right now. An expensive, complicated, uh, narrow band-aid. Well, and the other thing is, this is actually like a the the poverty of this idea that like we're going to use cobra to like kick in is like it is ingrained in like the dna of the democratic party so in 2009 they did basically the same thing after the fine after the uh, great recession they <laughs> um kicked in some subsidies to cobra and mm-hmm. this is just gives you a sense of their sort of political calculus what they kicked in was so paltry 
that basically no one signed up for it. That was their <laughs> counter cyclical oh idea God. about insurance. Wow. D- uh, didn't affect great, the deficit though. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that's extremely <laughs> emblematic to me. Well, see, <laughs> I'm sorry. But like, this is the thing when you've set the bar so low for yourself, right <laughs> now they're saying like, no, we're doing so much better. We're actually going to, uh, expand the you know the amount that we're gonna the federal government's gonna kick into like 100 percent of the premium that's mm-hmm. their that's their argument that's their like best right. case scenario that basically right because uh that basically the what would otherwise be the employer paying part of the insurance uh in, like insurance cost and the uh you know and you paying your uh additional again as we mentioned extravagant uh like exorbitant amount of money to the insurer in addition mm-hmm. um the federal government would cover both of those which seems like you know that would be if you have to have something like cobra that would be a good baseline to have mm-hmm. for people who are unemployed it's a uh, bare but, minimum that i think discourages organizing as well because right. the more people that you can sort of temporarily hold over another couple of weeks, the fewer people you have demanding action from you right now. Right. No, I mean, I just mean that like within the yeah. current, like within the, our current employer sponsored health care system with, um, with all of these private insurance companies, like mm-hmm. the, the program itself is so perverse to begin with mm-hmm. that it doesn't mm-hmm. automatically do the thing that is being suggested as the sort of like, you know, hand down to like pull people <laughs> up or something. You know what I mean? It's it's like it's ridiculous because ultimately this is going to just result in base. It's basically another way, yet another way to do a subsidy to um, private insurers, mm-hmm. essentially. Well, mm-hmm. The other thing, though, yeah. is if we're th- thinking about all of the defects of this law, which you could it's like a CVS receipt long. Um, <laughs> the other thing is you have to think about the number of people that are out of work right now. So many of them are in the service sector. So many of them are 1099 uh, employees. So many of them do not work for employers that even give them a COBRA plan. So what are they Mm -hmm. supposed to do? And the answer is going to be one of two things. This is, this is what's going to ultimately come out. They're going to say, well, we're going to somehow bump up the subsidies on um, the uh, Obamacare exchanges, which is itself, that's just going to be a numerical fantasy because the cost sharing in those plans is already ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other argument will be, well, people can go on Medicaid, which is really, if we're going to think about the scale of this thing, the 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 time scale of this pandemic yeah. is going to be long and much right. longer than any As of we'll these talk people, about soon. which we'll talk about, right? But it's going to be long. And we already are seeing what New York is doing. We're, all, we're going to see very, very soon the fact that states cannot sustain um, these new, um, enrollments. And so just this idea that, that, that the system, that all we really need to do is like patch up the the system that we have, uh, in the midst of this is it already is absurd. And the realities are going to become more absurd once people see what they ultimately have to do to get insurance. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But this also does to me fall under this like umbrella of policies sort of like stopgap bullshit policies that are being proposed at the moment that like fall in this like weird uncanny valley in between like like I understand the magnitude of the problem and I probably should have been doing this the entire time like they like I I'm I'm sort of like thinking about like uh increasing 
um, unemployment insurance, like uh, giving unemployment insurance to um, people who are gig workers. Like it's all it's like it feels like it's all of a piece. Right. Like this is definitely (laughs) like coming from the same atrophied hive mind. Well, that they're like answer to to a pandemic is to basically brush off like Clinton era social policy or something. Yes. Exactly. I or mean, to be like, hmm, maybe we should punch that up a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, let's well, use the word robust. Let's use the word robust. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, more. right? Like if they cared about preserving this system of employer sponsored insurance, which they claim to. Right. Right. It's like this idea that, Mm -hmm. like, you know, if you like your insurance, you can keep it and whatever. This whole (laughs) garbage that you keep hearing over and over again. But (laughs) if they did care about it, you would assume that they would have done these things to prop it up. They they would have done the maintenance to prop it up. But the answer is they don't care about it because they don't care about anybody who's, you know, on it. Uh, Yeah, because this doesn't it's not just that, like, people who are gig workers and don't have and thus don't have, like, um, health insurance through their employer, mm-hmm. um, like, are, are not going to be eligible for this. It's also like COBRA as like in, in general does not apply to people who are laid off from um, businesses with like under 20 workers. Yeah, no, I mean, like COBRA in and of itself is incredibly limited in terms of um, often like the coverage is a little bit different or the formulary is a little bit different. And. Um, Mm -hmm. It's one thing to say you're going to cover the premium, but like no help with the copays, no help with prescription costs. What good is covering someone's premium if they're laid off, um, still waiting weeks for their unemployment to go through? Their Trump bucks are nowhere to be found, so they can't even afford to go use their Cobra in the first place. Their Trump bucks are seized by their bank. Right. Does it even even cover deductibles either? Because... We're no, pretty, no, it's still pretty it's close to the, the beginning premium. of the fucking year, right? It's just <laughs> right. the premium. They're only yeah. thinking about fucking healthy people who don't use their insurance still. Right. They keep forgetting that people need their fucking insurance right now more well, than usual. And I imagine part of the reason that so many of these private plans are structured in the way that they are, other than like in, in terms of like trying to move money around to make them seem in some way reasonable, even though all of the numbers have gone up, like premiums, copays, deductibles, et cetera, have all gone up so drastically in the last, you know, decade or so that, um, that like all the numbers are ridiculous now, but I mm-hmm. feel like at the, at the outset it was like, okay, well this, this allows us to say, well, um, you know, no, no copays for, for no copays like asterisk for mm-hmm. certain generic drugs or something like that or right. to say you know low like lower premiums etc um when you don't see that like actually it's a process like american health insurance is this process of like death by a thousand cuts or something right, right. but right. the i mean that's why ultimately as we talked about actually in our our last episode uh or our patron episode for for this week that you know that's why the only like rational response like if nancy pelosi and like the the uh you know in, in general like her uh congressional caucus mm-hmm. or whatever wants to like ring up Vox and say, I've got, I've got a cool tip for you. Um, <laughs> although obviously, you know, they're, they're going to a very friendly media outlet for a reason mm-hmm. who will not point out the very obvious fact that this is exactly what the health insurance lobby has been asking them to do for over a month. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, if they wanted to like go and say, we've got a, we've got an exciting, you know, policy uh policy preview exclusive for you um they if they wanted to actually do anything like that they should have actually fucking done like nancy pelosi could have been like surprise we're going to support the sanders jayapal temporary uh single pair 
uh, ish right. uh, suggestion, <laughs> um, which would you know cover copays uh, and everything like that for everyone's yep. pri- everyone's private insurance um, and make Cobra totally fucking unnecessary actually to unroll in because everyone who lost their insurance would be enrolled on a government in. plan. Like the other, Medicare. right? The other problem with Cobra is it's a new extra application that people have to do yeah it's also like understood universally i'd say in the general consciousness to be a fucking expensive junk product yeah so right at a time when no one has money and the federal government is not super effective at communicating to the general public nor are representatives particularly interested in communicating with their constituents right i can't imagine that a lot of people are actually going to just go ahead and use this or even realize that it's available to them. Probably a lot of people won't even know it happened. Yeah. Should we, should we talk about sort of how this fits into the latest developments in the spectacular failure that is the care act as well, because cares, Cares, sorry, I keep dropping the S it's so important. (laughs) Um, I just think they care so much that it's a Freudian (laughs) slip. I keep thinking apparently. (laughs) Um, so yeah, already you just kind of dropped, this a moment ago and you referred to this when we were like a a couple minutes ago but the cares act checks can actually be seized by your bank Uh, yeah there's a determination in it that says basically if you owe your bank money then the bank can just intercept it and just use it to you know apply to whatever existing debt you have so you know really great job guys yeah just awesome wonderful Um, wonderful job um yeah, I don't know. I mean, the last I just want to before, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to totally completely move on. But before we do, I just want to shout out one thing that is obviously a lot of people have used Cobra and are like aware of it. But a lot of but there's also not like if you if you already don't kind of like pay attention to or think about health insurance because it's sort of like intentionally obfuscate like obfuscatory mm-hmm. or uh, con- like confusing. I think that the way that um, Tim Faust summarized this on Twitter was really good, which is that like this, this proposal from, from house Democrats is basically like, if your plan likes you, it can keep you. (laughs) That's very true. Yeah. That's very true. I mean, there's a really simple thing that you could do, which would be like everyone that files an unemployment claim just automatically is enrolled in Medicare, whether the claim is successful or not. I don't know. That's an idea. What Bernie's proposing is even in a way easier. If you don't have right. insurance, you go to the doctor, they bill Medicare. If you don't have in, if you don't have insurance information that you bring with you, they bill Medicare. If you do have insurance and you have cost sharing or copay, guess what they do? They bill Medicare. Yeah. <laughs> it actually doesn't add that much more administrative um, you know, burden. In fact, if anything, it makes things a bit easier. <laughs> on everyone right Right. it also Mm -hmm. might even be not that i care about this in particular but it actually might even be cheaper potentially (laughs) i would imagine right yeah in terms of like out-of-pocket costs for the government well then just shoveling thousands (laughs) and thousands of dollars into private insurance companies uh to support their cobra programs what are those poor little insurance companies gonna do without all that big federal money they're not making record profits the best part the best part is you're Sending money. This is this Cobra thing. This is a this is a um, pneumatic tube that goes directly to, you know, a hip and, and Blue Cross Blue Shield. And you know what they're going to use that money to do eventually that when Democrats try to pass the next bullshit mealy mouthed reform, 
they're going to run ads against it. And you know yeah. what money they're going <laughs> to oh use God, to run yeah. ads against it? They're going to use money. that money. Hell yeah. Yes. <laughs> the system works. Um, it's a beautiful yeah. circle of life, folks. Yeah. Just. I mean, you know, that's 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 the dole right there. That's public. <laughs> that That is the public assistance that America provides. It's beautiful. I had an yeah. idea, it, it grand, had an idea for an ad. It was the Harry and Louise ad from the 90s. Uh-huh. You remember that ad? Uh-huh. Oh like yeah, couple sitting at like the kitchen table from the TV show Roseanne, basically <laughs> looking at their, <laughs> looking at their new, looking at their bills or whatever. It's the same commercial, like they're criticizing like a government takeover of insurance, but then the couple looks outside the looks out the window and they sort of see something and then they walk outside of the house and they realize that their house is just a soundstage. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And then it's the insurance companies and they're in the commercial. It's going to be good i like that i, I like think that's it yeah great. in I, general i think that could stand to be rebooted you know harry and louise <laughs> oh, i think totally. that they have i think it's been used for a bunch of other stuff what was it there was like a meat packing commercial or something that used i forget what it is there's like exactly see the floor isn't a floor at all yeah <laughs> <laughs> More like a metal grate that lets the meat sluice through. Just kidding. Anyway, so um, <laughs> uh, not kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it's like they've created this beautiful. They're or they are in the process of creating this beautiful web of administrative burdens and different forms for you to have to like um, sift through in order to be able to like make sure that you can like not die. Like Vince, you're applying for unemployment insurance. Your Mm -hmm. application wasn't to the T. You're experiencing administrative burden. It's taken a while. Um, Guest of the show, Pam Hurd, expert on administrative burdens, also today uh, was tweeting about how her mother had paid the IRS money but hadn't gotten it a direct deposit return from the IRS had money like they said they couldn't like give it to her even though they had taken money out of her account like three years oh. in a row they're like we don't have your account number we're so sorry oh because I, sending I, and receiving is different right because we received yeah. it we didn't like send you money before so shit out of luck sorry old lady I uh I too have that um <laughs> <laughs> well also cool. probably I, Pam's mom is also probably on social security by now I'm assuming like Right. probably pam's mom is over 65 because i don't know what mm-hmm. I, you know what i mean like this is it's so stupid are you advocating yes. for a universal government database where they all i'm just kidding sorry yeah okay. if it was Go social ahead. security <laughs> payments for everyone starting at age zero what kind with of Medicare, surveillance state sure. are you asking for now contact <laughs> tracing using oh, everyone's God. irises and gps data in partnership with google i i actually wasn't gonna mention this but i i now will though that like I did also in conjunction being like, well, if I'm not going to get unemployment, I'm hoping that I'll get one of these fucking checks soon. And so uh, the IRS actually did set up a website so that you can check to see if you are getting one of these checks, which like, first of all, is hilarious because it it instantly crashed. And of course, it takes (laughs) um, it takes 15 minutes to load the form where you like input your information to then spit out like whether or not you're eligible for one of these. So I went ahead, waited the 15 minutes, put in my information another 15 minutes later, get basically a response that says we were unable to find your information and we are not sure if you're eligible for one of these, (laughs) which tells me 
I'm not getting one probably for the same reason that Pam's mom is that like for the last three years running, I've been, you know, paying taxes as a freelancer and like technically haven't gotten anything back from the federal government in a while. Um, And even though I do have my direct deposit on hand with them, literally won't be able to get any fucking money. I mean, it's wild. This is stupid. It means that like there are 64 year old, freelancers out there who because they are 64 and not 65 are going to be possibly in the same fucking boat this is the stupidest shit in the whole world yeah well and then on top of it you know again it is just a single twelve hundred dollar one-time payment which which then at the end i mean i know that like people like you know bernie's out there calling for like a two thousand dollar payment every month which i think even is probably going to be extreme again you know we've talked about this before on the show uh too but like is would probably even be like extremely low for a lot of uh like a lot of situations oh yeah i could live on that because i'm used to living on twelve hundred dollars a month but right you know that would be hard for a lot of people with like multiple children even, you know what I mean? Like, right. And this is, you know, I think, and considering that this isn't just like, I mean, this, I, th- I feel like this is the absolute poverty of the the thinking here. Cause it's like, okay, so cares act, like we're going to, okay, we'll make unemployment uh, insurance a little bit slightly better. We'll push, we'll bump it uh, back. So it, what it's until like July or something, it's more generous. Mm-hmm. And then we will give a one time, payment to everybody which can be which you know can be automatically seized essentially to to resolve past debts by your bank and then i don't know you're you're like what on your own after that like well, as though as though like right. the quote-unquote economy right. is going to reopen well, uh anytime soon as though anything is gonna not as though things aren't going to have been like fundamentally changed in the like in the frankly in the, in the, well in the next like year plus i mean you know, yeah. the, it's not like this is not going, this isn't simply going away. Well, Steve Mnuchin today was asked about that very fact and said, well, this should last the average American family about 10 weeks. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Wait, he said, wait, hang on. Wait, what? Let's <laughs> just yeah. rewind there. I didn't... To which I'd like to respond. Um, and this maybe Michael, is a... how much could a banana cost? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> What could a bottle of milk cost? Ten dollars. Fifty dollars. It's like it's f- ten. Wait. <laughs> ten weeks. Twelve hundred dollars. How how much money is that a week? A hundred and twenty dollars a week. What was he assuming people were paying for? What is that? He I just want to know, know what things cost. Vince. Totally. He definitely doesn't know. But I want to know if he if that was like without rent. Or like what he thinks rent costs in America. I just, that to me, yeah, that speaks volumes and and also is very unsurprising. But just just the sheer fact that he said that. Yeah. Fucking. But I I feel like that is hilarious. There's a a real macro. That is such a macro trend, right? This idea. And it's not just like, it's the sort of, you know, whatever, um, Michael, how much could a banana cost? There's that aspect of Mm -hmm. it. That is just like the attitudes of the capitalist class and their handmaidens uh, about all of this stuff. But then there's this other thing that's that's happening that's even broader than that, which is just this sense that like we don't really need to do that much. I sent Artie that classic tweet, now evergreen tweet, which is um, yeah. <laughs> what we really need is a, you know, a more moderate virus 
so that we can <laughs> do our more incremental uh, what is it? Coronavirus is too radical. America needs right. a more right. moderate virus that we can respond to incrementally. Take for for like, these that is times. Very much, yeah, exactly. That's really emblematic of the entire thing, which is like you see all of these very high level plans coming out. Like, yeah, we need, you know, however many million tests uh, per day. Right. And like we're going to need, you know, some agreement on like when states can reopen their economy and all of these things. And it's just the I mean, we've talked about this as magical thinking, <laughs> But I think it is an inability to grapple with the fact that this economic system is in its death throes, if not already dead. Right. Yeah. I feel like one other funny aspect of this ultimately is so, you know, obviously we're like, okay, well, $1,200 is extremely paltry and shows extremely, you know, short term thinking here. And it's it's an extremely underwhelming uh, reaction to the reality of the situation. Right. But then, you know, it's like, it's like funny, haha, like Mnuchin saying, um, like, this this will last the average American family like 10 weeks or something. But then it's also ridiculous. And I'm sure you're going to see plenty of this. I haven't, you know, I don't know, I don't keep up with a bunch of like liberal media outlets or or like comedy (laughs) anchors uh, for, you know, my own self preservation sake uh that much but i I, i'm sure that within the last or within the last like 24 hours um i'm sure that that report that came out that they were going to delay the printing of the physical checks that are going out for people who don't have wire transfers uh that they were going to delay it so they could get trump's name on the check it's been incredible seeing the sort of uh actually you know the same the same type of uh the same type of democratic party official who like says that um you know extending cobra is like a really good idea or like sorry f- like the federal having the federal government pay for cobra is a really good idea for how to manage people's like insurance uh when they're unemployed that same type of person is also like going around now and saying oh look at the look at the ego on on trump here look at the look at the depravity mm-hmm. uh on on display like what a what a fundamentally crass gesture to do to to delay this payment to to make sure that your name is on it, which has never happened from an IRS disbursement. Like this is this has never happened before. It's also you, like your, the president's like name on this. It's uh, like weird uh, grandpa energy to have his name be on the memo line, but that's like a whole other. But like yeah. no, but my point is like the yes those those jokes are easy, but fundamentally there's, there's a logic to that that is not deniable that actually also illustrates a sort of, I think political calculus that the democratic party completely lacks now or is incapable of, yeah. or is incapable of. Yeah. Well, cause their, their, um, their, their measure of being relatable is having like two gigantic, like thousands of dollar, uh, fridges with like stocked full of ice cream. <laughs> um, and meanwhile, Trump is legitimately just trying to make sure that they stake credit, regardless of whether they have much to do with it, that they take fucking credit for yeah. uh, this cash disbursement that's going to actually, even if paltry, meaning will meaningfully impact a lot of people's lives. I mean, what's better to speak to the working class? An appearance on late night show where you show someone a freezer full of $11 ice cream, more ice cream than probably most people have seen in one place outside of a grocery store before, (laughs) or a check with somebody's name on it. Yeah. What speaks more to the working class, folks? What do you think? 
You know, the Democratic Party is the party of the working people, which is why we have to show them all the wealth of our leaders so that we can know, you know, that they're really sure why they're working so hard so that they can aspire to be just like Nancy with her fridge full of ice cream bullshit. Yeah. Anyways, so sort of dovetailing with this whole insurance issue is a study that came out about the length of time that they're expecting social distancing measures to be required. Um, so sort of beyond the fact that in the immediate moment, it's incredibly difficult to get the social services that you need, but also like COBRA has a time limit. Unemployment insurance has a time limit. Yeah. And that certainly doesn't match up with the three possibly longer year figure that this Harvard study is starting to float, which matches up with a lot of the things that I've been hearing from our listeners who are physicians who have reached out and, um, you know, sort of told me the things that they're telling their patients who are immune compromised that you should really be expecting this would be your lifestyle for a while. Right. And it seems, I don't, you know, the thing, I, I found this study so interesting. I was like really, really happy that you sent it along. Yeah. Because it it just confirms something for me that like all of the, all of the plans, all of the documents, all of the legislation that's currently being put out, it really does. I mean, you know, the, the people who author these things will say, well, we're, we're working under a different, we have multiple sort of scenarios that we're thinking about. We're trying to preserve our like flexibility, but all of them are, have a pretty rosy sense that we're going to be able to like, not the Trump idea of like, we're going to be opening by May day or whatever, right but like mm-hmm. at least by, I think the idea is like, I mean, I actually think the, the more generous interpretation of this beyond the fact that people cannot understand like what a crisis of capitalism is. That's my like critical take. My, <laughs> yeah. my less critical and more generous take is people cannot understand sociologically. Right. What it is going to be like for this to exist right. in six months, a year, but you know, institutions are already planning that far out. You know, people who really have uh bear a lot of risk are making those sorts of plans and it's captured. Um, that sort of thinking is captured by this study. And the point is it's all about the assumptions that you make. I feel like a lot of these like federal plans that are coming out are like, well, we assume, I always think it's kind of like funny, like we just assume an, a certain level of, of social distancing. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's an incredibly, uh, uh, stylized assumption. Um, right. and you know, obviously <laughs> you can make different kinds of assumptions and, and test the robustness of the, of the model, but like, um, it still is, it's a, pretty stylized uh, kind of like fake model world that you're that you're working with and like this study seemed at least more realistic about that well my favorite uh, one of those is like when the like the imperial college study says something like at 75 percent social distancing which is like uh okay yeah i mean i know that i know that they're using i know that they are grounding this in some sort of they have some sort of explicit model obviously but it's just it's very funny to like read it abstracted in that way yeah i think that so for the i mean for the purposes of of this i think one of the reasons that we wanted to talk about this is we've all talked quite a lot about, I mean, we were very early on the show to be saying like, Hey, remember guys, this is definitely not like, don't necessarily listen to, uh, I don't know what even like the CDC is saying right now, which is like, Oh yeah, probably, you know, we'll, we'll be fine. Like at the beginning of this, it was like, Oh, we'll be fine in like a month or two. Or something like this. Couple mm-hmm. weeks. Like that was right. It was like okay, everyone's going to shelter in place for a couple weeks, and then it'll be over. And we were like, 
know. Um, but we, this is, I think, the first time we've gotten, I think, a really well-grounded look at the sort of like actual time scale mm-hmm. that we could be looking mm-hmm. at. So this is, um, for context, this was a study from researchers at, Har- at Harvard in uh, the departments of epidemiology and their Department of Immunology and Infectious Diseases. AKA not written um, by someone who is a Silicon Valley marketing. Medium post, yeah, yeah, medium poster right. and marketing executive, you know. Yeah. So it, ha- it carries a little bit more weight than whoever said it's fine. Go lick a like subway pole. You'll right. be good. Critical difference there, uh, which, by the way, fuck the New York Times for running a, a story about how uh, like life after coronavirus where like people are rediscovering uh, the people who have recovered from it are thinking that they're safe and they're going and they're they're living a normal life again. What is it? Wow. But the, uh, wow. But, uh, it's like well, asking someone in a wheelchair if they'll ever walk again. Well, I mean, literally the, no, the headline. Like, the reason no, it seems no less relevant than any of their usual cultural coverage. Right. Yeah. The, the headline was like, the headline literally was like, uh, it was a quote and it was like, uh, you could lick a park bench or something like in, <laughs> oh inside people who've recovered from coronavirus. And it's like, anyway, um, Ugh, they don't obviously even understand ignoring how this works. Well, they ignoring, think you just get immune when you get something and that's but, not how your body works. Trust and, me. And this is to set it up. Actually, this is, this is kind of the key thing about this study, right? Because so, um, and first of all, like that, yeah, the one thing, the New York times piece mainly omits and misses is that like, the the best evidence that we have so far, like the best early studies that we have show that like 30% of people don't even show antibodies for it. Mm-hmm. After. I think it's 35 even. Yeah, actually. so it's a huge amount of people have recovered from the coronavirus and don't retain antibodies like the week after. Well, what we should say so, is like actually how a serum test is done is they take your blood and they like put it in a centrifuge and they take out the serum, which is like kind of yellow, and then it's manually counted under a microscope. So... You're also depending on like the sample having those antibodies in and the way your immune system works does not mean that every time you take blood, you're going to get a full picture of all the antibodies in someone's body. It's like taking a picture of like, your hand and saying it could like represent your entire sure. body. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. that's fair. But that's why we need a large representative sample as exactly. opposed to like the, the little amount of data that we have. And but it's also what I'm like saying, not good enough to be tested once is kind what of I'm what sa- I'm saying. No, of course not. But what I'm saying is the little amount of data that we have so far is not painting a really rosy picture Mm-mm. considering especially the stuff in the study. Right. So like within the study, it basically lays out a bunch of like possible outcomes and a lot of them are hinged. Like there's a bunch of other stuff that it's hinged on like uh, critical care capacity and it suggests that one of the main things other than social distancing that people that countries and, and communities or whatever should be doing is extremely ramping up critical care capacity because that will uh, cha- that changes the models and duration quite a bit um, almost as much as social distancing right and I think um, it's worth, worth noting that um, nurses unions have been begging for this for about a decade now yeah. Just saying. But so basically, like, so with with something like uh, COVID nineteen, you have uh, again, there's not there's not a lot of um, data yet on how um, on how after you if you live from it, if you recover from it, like how effective like antibodies are in your system um, that would that's basically your immune response afterwards, right, to prevent reinfection, um, but also how long that lasts and the best things that they have to compare it against, which they basically use as the foundation of the study, which gets us to this sort of like 
these figures, which include like, well, it might just become part of the seasonal, uh, you know, wave. Yeah, perhaps we'll have it under um, control by 2024. Or not. Or it'll just keep going. You know, that's is what I'm saying. Um, but coronavirus, uh, the COVID-19, as we have mentioned on the show before in like COVID year zero, is largely like g- genetically it's like a variant of the common cold basically mm-hmm. yeah. or one of the m- and kennel cough right um but basically so looking at other common strains of that you have some extremes but there's like um there's SARS for example the original SARS uh SARS1 SARS COV1 um which did have very long duration uh, immune response buildup. Very different, um, very different disease process. Though. This is extremely different from COVID nineteen, and then it also looks at other sort of similar ones, which are the the less deadly but very persistent, um, like two two other strains of coronavirus, which are like basically the the taken together are like the two most common causes of the common cold, mm-hmm. and those are basically. Uh, situation where it's a coronavirus where within a year your body basically forgets it's seen it ever. Yeah, which are HCOV, OC43 and HCOV, HKU1. Are you impressed that I know that? Yeah, I am actually. (laughs) Very much so. I know that because I went through my serum test to see if I showed them because when I was exposed to measles we ran like a test, like a really, really complete panel. Right. So for the very first time in a decade, I have like a very recent picture of actually what my antibody spread is, which has been helpful for the research on my case, which is, of course, on hold, but um, don't have them. Don't have those mm-hmm. personally. So the bottom line here, though, is the expectations that we hold in our head about when this is going to be done, so to speak, are completely unreasonable. Yeah. And because there's a cure for the common cold. So that's something we should definitely be expecting for this one. Yeah, exactly. And the so the question, though, is it's those optimistic but entirely unreasonable expectations that persist unless there is a way of giving people a set of expectations about what the future looks like that is not truly as grim and dystopian as, as I, I think the unthinkability is, is a huge piece of this, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the longer it takes for people to, to realize um, sort of exactly what we're in for, you know, I, I think a lot of people, I was complaining about this, but you know, I've sort of, that I've like run out of things to say to people who are asking me like, when is it going to be over? And I, I can only be like, it's not about over. It's about through so many times and or it's, adapt. Right. And adapt or get better, get faster, get smarter. You know, what even is over in this context? Right. Like <laughs> it, it's meaningless, essentially. Um, no one even understands like or can agree on what it'll mean when it's over. Right. And um, I think it's being used as this sort of abstract concept that is like, you know, maybe people to give people the benefit of the doubt, maybe they think like, oh, they're helping to appease public panic by not admitting that this could be really long. But it's also like slowing down the pressure to act at the same time. Right, And that's mm-hmm. it. But that's kind of the thing. Like, I think that um, people haven't really accounted for like you know even even the thing like seeing fucking andrew cuomo get up there um as we've complained about a bunch but like in what it was it last week um before before cases started ticking up again cuomo was like thumping his chest and saying 
like we flattened um, the curve. Yeah, we've we've flattened the curve. We've successfully the flattened the curve. The curve is a plateau. Right. Whereas, like <laughs> you know, when you actually when you actually look at what you know epidemiologists like this are saying about it, first of all, there's some staggering stuff. Like just one case based on like based on the the R not as in the like um, the the transmissibility of a case of COVID. Like a single mm-hmm. case through it, gone through like. If you run through just like 10 successive uh, generations of, you know, transmission, basically with a mm-hmm. single case, if it's if, if it's uh, if the R naught is two. So like two cases for every case. Mm-hmm. So it's like doubling. Mm-hmm. Um, if you run through that, then a, sing- a single case can generate 59,000 cases. So <laughs> in this case, it becomes I think that the main the really fascinating main takeaway for for me i think for this is just looking at that like and i know that this is some you know i'm not an epidemiologist so i so this is maybe fascinating In fact, none and of us news are. to me right but i think but it, it for example essentially a, a lot of it looks like a lot of the re, our realistic um ideas of what this will look like should be entirely um it seems bound by like we should be waiting to see really definitive numbers basically on what um serological testing as in like the the antibody testing Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. shows us about uh how like how long the the body uh, holds on to its its immune response basically holds on to its like antibodies to fight COVID nineteen despite the fact that people like fucking uh, what's his name Doctor Fauci who uh, people love who liberals love to um, the only uh, sane man in the government yeah right love now. to love because he like rolls his eyes at Trump or whatever Fauci which is Fauci arguably himself, hilarious but right with yeah him rolling his eyes at Trump is hilarious but again shooting fish doesn't in barrel, make him a good guy right he's still Fauci says uh, or has said that he's like pretty sure that once you get coronavirus that you're good um, which there's no scientific backing for that and based on this uh based on the study basically there are so like the 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 key thing here i think is a couple of the possible outcomes so one really important finding is that they they seem to uh they're pretty certain that um you know as as opposed to sort of some of the original narrative around this that like um maybe it would go away seasonally in the <laughs> in the summer um and then that would be fine that uh actually it seems like it can proliferate at any time like it seems like it pro- can proliferate in any season it's also like only mostly looking so at temperate it's climates, not a vampire you can't only get covid at night right that's it's not just, true but oh it's my like God. you can't only it's not it's not necessarily just a flu season <laughs> thing right exactly um and uh so the other thing is okay so basically scenarios right if so, if COVID nineteen, uh, if you ba- if you if immunity is basically long term or permanent, which it's not likely, which is not likely, then the virus could disappear five or more years after this outbreak starts, after a major outbreak, mm-hmm. possible, possible, highly improbable, and mm-hmm. they say as much. They say basically that based on what they've. What has been observed so far, it looks very unlikely. Uh, under other scenarios, if there is, so if there's like shorter term immunity, then that's actually, it sounds like that's actually more likely to cause a situation where, um, and here it's uh, a bit upsetting to see that they bring up, I think, the the best corollary to the 1918 influenza uh, outbreak that I can, that I've seen so far, which is that, um if it's a if it's a shorter term 
uh, like immune buildup basically, mm-hmm. then we'll probably face a situation where like late summer to early fall mm-hmm. cases have fallen and the, 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 the economy reopens or whatever. And right. Everyone gets sick. And then the next wave is worse and much worse right? because what happened in 1918, the 1918 flu pandemic started in, was first of all not just confined to 1918 it started in january 1918 sounds familiar and then it uh it had a huge peak in the fall of 1918 mm-hmm. actually september um, end of september right and it did not end until 1920 um so you know that's probably that actually makes it probably a better model for what we're looking at right i mean it's that's like one of the things that i think is like just so worrying to me though is that like obviously we face this decision where we are in a sense delaying the development of herd immunity by imposing the only um weapon we have against this which is social distancing and shelter in place mm-hmm in an effort to not overwhelm the healthcare system, right? Which mm-hmm. then in my mind, like opens the window for people to say and try and reattempt the Boris Johnson argument of we need to do the herd immunity yeah. or, right. um, you know, supports the fact that um, like, oh, okay. Like we've had this wave go through. Everybody's ready to go back to work. Let's start building up the herd immunity. Which basically condemns people like you be and everyone else who is immune compromised or just frankly, on like chemotherapy for cancer to mm-hmm. die. Or just like right? regular right. people because bad luck and shit happens. Or to have to be like locked in to their homes for like more I than think two years. Just I think people <laughs> just like accept that at best, like at best, assuming that you make it out of this alive, you're going to at least lose like a year, year and a half of your life at best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Welcome to being chronically ill. <laughs> yeah, totally. There are years where I'm like, I left the house 20 times that year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's fine. We'll all get through it together. I'm here. I'm handling it. We can do it. Right. Yeah. But we need to get like the fuck out of our own asses about thinking that this is going to be over in May and June. And I really would love to hear people stop worrying about their fucking summer weddings and vacations that they have planned because (laughs) please for the love of god like don't get your hopes up don't hold a wedding you will kill people the the longer (laughs) you the longer you like deceive yourself that you'll be able to do this and the longer you spend fretting and worrying about whether or not you're gonna do this the less time you have to help us all think about what the fuck we're gonna do because we will still be in the same position come your wedding date or whatever i think the other problem with this, beyond just the fact that not planning, you know, for this, what I would consider to be a worst case, but also a very realistic scenario, is that you don't leave yourself the space to do what you need to do to adapt the other aspects of civil society yep. and basic kind of uh, operate infrastructure of sort of democratic uh, paltry sub-democratic life in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't, I mean, basically you you open this window for yourself to be incredibly unprepared for any number mm-hmm. of things um, that are inevitably going to come along. Continuity of government being one. Um, right. But also just think about uh, civil society, universities, um, libraries, churches, schools, all of these systems that we rely on to make every sort of basic aspect of our society work not taking this seriously means that you're just going to keep pushing those decisions off until it's too late and you have to make them very, very quickly. 
And then what happens is the institutions that you think are going to stay the same change drastically in ways that are, um, you know, potentially, you know, incredibly violent and ugly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I also just think to that point, Phil, like we all sort of have an opportunity right now to start remaking those in the way that we would like to have them remade for an era post COVID that actually is never post COVID. Right. Like, you know, while, while all of these people are either like furloughed, laid off home from work, uh, you know, and like quote unquote working from home, we all know what that means. Um, Mm -hmm. like there's, (laughs) there's all of this like collective time that we have that where we're, where we're sort of like in this holding pattern thinking like, it, it will go back to normal or some parts of this will go back to normal. And like, not only are we in for that very rude awakening, but we're, we're kind of wasting a lot of like time that we exactly. otherwise have to start organizing and, uh, you know, sort of mobilizing and, and creating like the, the creating, creating what we want to see the, the other side look like given these realities. Right. I mean, it's like completely irrational, after after everything that we all we all collectively globally have been through i don't know like in my lifetime alone it's like irrational and unwise to like be worried about overreacting and overprotecting people's lives yeah right like after everything we've been through it would be how simple do you have to be that you feel like you are worried about overreacting to this. I mean, but this is like the this from is an the, organizational and this, standpoint. This even. is the problem too, and this part of this is part of what actually kind of creates we can create resurgences like the thing that uh, I was talking about with the influenza pandemic of uh, 1918 is like the I don't know I, I saw this um this I saw this like thing posted in like um like Doctor Twitter today. That was mm-hmm. um, someone doing that. You know, we've, we're all familiar with the the flatten the curve projections. Um, no, uh, haven't heard uh, of it. Graph, haven't heard right. anybody talk about it. Don't understand right. what it is. Please explain it to me again. But so, Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, a lot of people. I mean, if you if you I like, mean, listen Andrew to the Cuomo news, a lot of people don't talk about it in the way that it actually is, which is right. that it's about like ho- like hospital resources and, and not also, actual like, amount of cases. But anyway, Andrew Cuomo yeah. is in real time trying to move the goalposts and redefine the the meaning of um, flatten the curve by saying that a plateau at the top of a curve counts. Yeah. So Uh, I saw this thing that I think is really appropriate uh, today, which is a, because of sort of a graphs of the flattening of the curve uh, with like a a little arrow showing like you are here or something um, when it's right when the curve is starting to flatten and then superimposed over that. It was just a big uh, like bounding box that was, was marked Oh no, we overreacted. Look, everything was fine. Um, like as a, as though the curve was like drifting into that territory, mm-hmm. basically. Right. Which, but mm-hmm. anyway, point point being though, yeah, Vince, you're, you're you're right. I mean, ultimately, this is the kind of this this right. is the time when you know, like essentially, what we should be doing. Actually, the only sort of morally responsible thing to be doing is not worrying about like when or how to reopen the economy but how we fundamentally reorient the way that we do almost everything right i mean Mm -hmm. it's it it is insanity to let you know again like gig workers 
uh, and and like Amazon warehouse workers bear the immense brunt of uh, and and our hospital workers, frankly, but bear the immense uh, brunt of our of like the health risks of so much of this and not just say okay well now we're we're clearly in this uh unprecedented situation we actually have to almost completely remap uh, uh work and sociality and e- economy mm-hmm. at least for um a temporary period but then that hopefully also demonstrates how it's fucking done right, right. not that right. this not that this leadership is going to come from assholes like Andrew Cuomo but i'm just saying right, that like right. You could like there's no reason that uh, it should be a lot like if there's if clearly a huge like a hugely in demand uh, part of like the workforce now or part of labor at all that is done right now. Right. Is thing is basic things like getting uh, supplies, food and like other things to people basically feed like you know feeding people. Mm-hmm. There are so many ways that we could do that better. <laughs> than right. just saying right. like okay well now rely on rely on fresh direct rely on all the right. all the shitty right. companies that don't pay their until people like well every last gig worker dies right you know like yeah. that's and then what's everyone gonna do well like, yeah exactly just gonna look gig- at themselves with horror right amazon amazon warehouse work can't be like going to texas to work on an oil rig in like the 1920s like that can't be like the equivalent it can't be and, anymore right <laughs> yeah exactly but also like the answer can can fundamentally not be if you if you think this if you personally go through this thought process and your answer is yeah i'm just gonna order more shit online like no maybe don't yeah, yeah. you I haven't mean, like, done enough you haven't done enough work but already i think another thing that should also be noted is just that like this is like a huge conceptual shift for most people to have to do about what the trajectory of maybe the next five to 10 years of most of their lives is going to be. So like we should be aware that like people have a hard time shifting that quickly. And at the very least we're going to, to, to need to think about like building frameworks for people to, be able to understand this better (laughs) or either that or just like a lot of counselors. Here's the thing. Like I understand it's like easier to think in the immediate terms of like, fuck, if this goes past May or June, I'm going to be fucked. Like I, um, we're also actively in the like, uh, food or rent, uh, question over here too. Like I feel you on that. However, um, we're already fucked, right? Like May and June is not the problem. We've, we're pretty fucked now. We've been pretty fucked before this for a while, like all of us. And it's time for everyone to accept. I mean, maybe Nancy Pelosi's not fucked. She's got a, a fridge full of ice cream and a lot of power. But other than Nancy, pretty much the rest of us are fucked. Like, what I'm saying is this is scary and it's horrible. And it's probably going to be the worst thing that happens in all of our lives. Like, and I think we're doing ourselves a disservice by refusing to have that conversation because everyone is too scared to have a conversation about the long-term implications of not what we've been planning for or trying to avoid, but what is happening right now. Thousands of people are dying every day. And that is, this is probably going to be our like world war ii if you want to put it that way you know so many people are trying to use these like historic references to feel like they can like rise above it or whatever but like just accept that this might be the worst fucking thing that ever happens to you well i get to work i mean i if you're privileged (laughs) right 
frankly. I agree, but I also just think that like if functionally that most people are going to make that shift, most people have never had to think that hard about the personal implications of something like this ever happening. And like, it's important like for, I don't think we have time for that anymore. We had time for that six weeks ago, but people can't, but people just can't just shift on a dime. Okay. But well, I'm just saying functionally, I I think we're all missing. I think we're all missing the, the big thing, which is the, the, one of the most important things here, I think is that we, that, the popular conception of what is happening here is first of all, like not shared at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have things like, um, I don't know. There's like things of, uh, like MAGA people like protesting, uh, at like a Mm -hmm. mall trying to get them to reopen saying it's all like a hoax or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe not MAGA people, but like QAnon people or something, you know, um, or whatever QAnon drifted into. I haven't even like followed that space in a long time, but (laughs) I think that fundamentally assessing the like the, this this is kind of the thing, and I think this is why it was important to talk about the the study, right? Which is that so I th- I think actually um, starting to get out a a sort of calibration of what people should begin to expect mm-hmm. because everything is completely uncertain um, in this time, and I think that for for me one of the scenarios that it outlines, and I'll read it in a second, and then I can do a I have a, I have a little joke I can do as a palate cleanser, but, um, I'll, and I'll, but I'll, I'll read this in a second. Um, but one of the, one of the most likely outcomes that I think, uh, we could see is one of, one of the scenarios outlined here. Um, so I'll just like read part of this. So, um, if immunity to, so I'm going to, I'm going to swap in COVID-19 for what the paper actually says, which is SARS-CoV-2, the, uh, you know, more right. Right. Uh, totally. smarty pants, actual real version of it. Um, but if immunity to SARS-CoV-2, sorry, if immunity to COVID-19 is not permanent, it will likely enter into regular circulation. Much like pandemic influenza, many scenarios lead to COVID-19 entering into long-term circulation alongside other human beta coronaviruses possibly in annual biennial or sporadic patterns over the next five years. Uh, Short-term immunity on the order of 40 weeks, uh, similar to the the common strains of the common cold of other coronaviruses that I mentioned before, uh, favors the establishment of annual COVID-19 outbreaks, while longer-term immunity, uh, as in immunity as long as two years that your uh, body remembers it, favors biennial outbreaks. So meaning that, you know, this will, this is not, this is, this organism now is, you know, it's here. This organism now is part, is a fact of life. Right. And and there's only so much we can do by spread through the globe. Yeah. Right. Right. But I think that the, um, the question is like, what do we do? Right. Practically with his knowledge, this, this knowledge that we're talking about as if it's so unbelievably self-evident is absolutely Mm -hmm. nowhere in the places where it should be, where people would be able to act on it. And I think we have to fundamentally grapple with the fact that the, the model that we have for like how our, how we understand the world and then act on it is, is like this. Some people at elite universities put out a study (laughs) and then we have very, very toxically risk averse politicians who think, Oh my God, 
the I mean it's 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 Dante's peak. It's like the consequences of this mm-hmm. knowledge are so um implausible for our short run conception of the tourist economy and whether or not Better Homes and Gardens is gonna feature our small town. Um <laughs> you know, that we can't that we can't act on it. Um yeah. and so we pretend that it doesn't exist, we pretend that it doesn't exist, and then before you know it. The volcano is erupted. Grandma's legs are, you know, melting off. Um, <laughs> and Pierce Brosnan is still looking very sexy, in fact. Um, but I think the that'll never I, change. But I think that the but that that model is is just it's bankrupt. It's been bankrupt for a long time, and it's bankrupt yeah. for a variety of reasons at, at the um, at either end of the supply demand continuum and knowledge product production. But I think that like what this crisis has like taught me thus far is that that's actually not how these that's not how um we've produced any response to covid thus far anyway you know if you think about who were really the first movers it was like social institute like it was uh, institutions outside of the state outside of politics it was like the nba you know Mm -hmm. and um the ncaa and you know i mean Mm -hmm. but it, it sort of emerged knowledge sort of emerged through the social through us effectively mm-hmm. and larger aggregations of us um up and i think that that is actually it's important not just so that we have a, a reasonable projection of what's potentially going to happen in the future but also it's sort of what is entailed with that is like what version of the world do we want given um that that is that this is what we're going to be facing both of those transitions come from the social and i guess one one advantage um, that we have is like the way that our work is, has been repurposed and, um, what people's time looks like, um, on a, mm-hmm. on a given day gives that there's a lot of potential for that sort of like social imaginary to grow. But I think it's like, um, but I think we have to understand that like this, what we're talking about here is in a, in a very broad sense, like what needs to happen much more socially, um, mm-hmm. Well, I think there's like um people are reticent to be the first to say it because everyone's so like stressed and frustrated and scared and no one wants to be more of a bummer or send someone spiraling. But I do think it is a, a conversation that needs to become more part of the social spaces that we're all in, because in my mind, it's like possibly the only thing that we can do right now is to really all force ourselves to like grapple with the concept of the future of living with covid mm-hmm. you know yeah well because from that can also extend political demands mm-hmm. it can create them whereas yeah. you know if you know we've made a lot of fun of the legislative reaction here today mm-hmm. <laughs> um but um you know if fundamentally the legislative reaction is based uh in part on this kind of shared like fever dream uh no pun intended i guess about the the possibility of, you know, life going just back to, you know, whatever, whatever sense of like bourgeois normalcy uh, <laughs> is um, imagined in, in the, the mind of, of the speaker, right. Then, then ultimately if, if that's what they're like both legislating for and basically projecting, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's incumbent on everyone, I think to, you know, de- <laughs> to basically declaim like what is, what is wrong here or like to show to demonstrate what is um actually far more likely to happen the sort of things that we should be planning for in the first place i mean like the it's you know it's it's a bummer to look at the um these 
figures in the study, for example, and one of the, that one of the main takeaways is that you know again, as I mentioned before, beyond um, social distancing practices, that almost you know having uh, heightened there's like one of the takeaways is that having heightened social distancing practices and not increasing drastically, drastically increasing. Um, ICU bed supply mm-hmm. uh, actually is more likely to just lead to uh, you know a, a greater outbreak again, like another successive wave of of uh, large outbreak. Because uh, while social distancing, you can have they they basically have one measurement that's you apply massive effective social distancing, and if you don't have the the sort of you know ICU beds to treat or the the resources to to uh, treat, then essentially when you know, the, all those people who were who were very doing very effective social distancing when they eventually get it, because remember, it's relevant and important, I think, to actually think of it like the common cold, just deadly. Mm-hmm. Right. Because when have you ever thought about, oh, that's when I got the cold. I must have got it from that person or something like it's rare. I mean, you, I'm I sure you've thought, I, 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 think about I, it, I, I, I know, but me, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, no, I know, but I, I guess I'm, a, I'm in this moment, maybe for, for that statement specifically, I'm talking to maybe like the non-immunocompromised parts oh, no, of I our know. audience. Cause I know that they like, but, oh, I'm, I'm just saying because they exist. What, like how often do you think about like how, like the, the causality there, which is why I think that even the, I don't know the the contact. I know that what's uh, what's his name uh, Redfield. Uh, I only remember his Robert last Redfield. name because Robert. it's the same as a Resident Evil Robert uh, family. R. Redfield, but <laughs> right. But so Redfield uh, is out there saying, you know, we need we need a we need like three hundred thousand contact tracers to do the surveillance work of figuring out. That, and this is not gonna this is not gonna happen. In the United States, I mean, and, and, it, and it's beside like, the point. Basically, is my is, is, my a, point. is a secondary if, measure to treating people. We right. have to deal with that first. But, but this, is, this is my point. If, if if the if the narrative around what to expect, and the narrative around like what what uh, what is being. I mean, they're, they're talking about it as though it's like this, the legislative solution, the CARES Act, and things is like oh, look at this look at this bounty that we're offering to the American people. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, tax breaks for millionaires and and bailing out uh, uh, what is it like hedge funds because they have dollar checks for banks because they're technically small businesses or whatever you know mm-hmm. um, as long as this is the the response it's like the the response is can easily be measured by also how people are talking about this basically and it's incumbent that we change also how people right. talk about it yeah. right because we have we have other more important long-term things to think about like phil like what you were saying like there's a lot more beyond the immediate covid relief that we all know need we all i mean all four of us here and probably all of our listeners are in agreement like it's pretty clear to us what we need right now right Right. we need to be able to to free people up to think about right we need to take care of their immediate material needs and make sure that for the, the moment they're given all the tools that they can to survive because we need to start thinking about what we're going to do come the fall. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we have an entire uh, question around how education is going to work. We're going to have to figure out how to treat people who get regular sick because heart attacks will continue to happen. And the longer Mm -hmm. this goes on, the more chronic illnesses we're going to see. So we have like a lot of like really interesting ideas to work through that we could all be collectively working through if we could only get our material immediate needs and survival yeah. out of the way. And the fact of the matter is, is that by, you know, refusing to talk about how long this is going to be, we delay our chances of survival. Um, mm-hmm. Can I offer a palate cleanser? Yes, please. Okay. Um, 
this is just something that is actually was actually kind of funny to me that I noticed in the uh, study. Um, okay, so there's they talk a lot about um, cross immunity and the possibility there, the possibility mm-hmm. that there's like cross immunity between. Um, the, like the idea is that basically because coronaviruses as a family are like similar to each other, that it basically like that it's possible that some people could like essentially already be, um, have like antibodies that would work against COVID-19 mm-hmm. because of the antibodies that they've developed against other strains of the common co- or like strains of the common cold, like, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. like, uh, these ones that it mentions throughout, uh, OC43 and HKU1. Um, and... So one of the scenarios that they talk about is that um, if COVID-19 induces cross immunity against those strains, um, if it has, if it has a sort of, if it has a like 70% up to, if it, if it gets up to a, if it has that and also it's effective up to about a 70% efficacy rate, for that's the a lot of COVID nineteen, I know that's a lot yeah. of ifs, but bear, bear yeah. with me. Okay. Take, come, come on this journey with me. If it's so, if if there's cross immunity and it's like seventy percent effective, then effectively, uh, you would actually potentially see over the course of two years those strains completely wiped out, <laughs> meaning that COVID nineteen <laughs> could be the cure for the common cold. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wait, wasn't uh wasn't the plot fr- no that was man-made sorry i was that thinking was the old the- lady who swallowed the fly i think or like every godzilla pl- movie you yeah know, like no, one monster thinking- kills the other that's right yeah the plot from the plot from I Am Legend. I was trying to think what it was cancer, though. It wasn't the common cold because that would have been too ironic. But yeah. the the thing that caused all the the whatever they were called was, um, yeah, a man made cure for cancer. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I haven't thought the, about that in a long that movie. I look, in a long time. I look forward to uh, driving some kind of fast car around an empty Manhattan and shooting at zombies, but... Oh my uh, God, see how fun this can be, right? I, I know. I think it's probably going to be... Uh, until I have to wait until 2025, basically, until that's going to happen. Or um, Andrew Cuomo will have his way, and maybe you can do it sooner. Honestly, it's more likely that Andrew Cuomo will be, like, hunting people like Vince from the back <laughs> of a car. That, you know, one can dream. <laughs> anyway. um, oh, God. Honestly... That's why I'm supporting him for president. <laughs> <laughs> the Cuomo caucus. Oh, <laughs> no. Uh, okay. Uh, no, anyway. I mean, I, I, hey, this um, this shit sucks, but we all have each other, and I think that's important, right? Oh. You know what? Mm-hmm. You know what? You're right. And <laughs> and honestly, my my own personal um headspace is like. I don't want to think about things changing. I want to just keep on doing what I've been doing and pretending that the world isn't, you know, undergoing this sort of change. I mean, that's very personal for me. So I completely understand why people don't want to, um, to do this, but we have a space, um, Mm -hmm. to like actually begin thinking about this and we have to start doing it now. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that it's going to be pleasant. I'm just saying it's urgent and, it's uh, coming up to the top of the to-do list is all I'm saying. Agree. You know? um, I think what's funny though, is that I don't know if 
because it is not, truly not my job to end an episode, but I feel like we're coming <laughs> up on the end of an episode with actually like um, like an actionable piece of advice for uh, listeners. Cool. <laughs> Which yeah. is play some form of this episode at people when they ask you how long you think this thing is going to last. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when someone when someone says, hey, how, how long do you think we're going to be in here, in here being, I don't know, you're like little Netflix isolation cube, you bourgeois monster. Um, <laughs> but well, yeah, when people ask you that, send them this episode. Hey, some people steal their Netflix, like good, <laughs> honest Americans. That's called yeah. mutual aid. Yeah, I mean, I think... It's, we just have to get fucking real. That's all it comes down to. Yeah. What was the thing that I, f I feel like I remember at the beginning of, um, at the beginning of this sort of like mass isolation event, um, there was, was it that, was it we, I don't remember if it was us or something else that like made a joke that it is more, I feel like it's more likely that we will see, uh, like federal universal uh, Netflix logins before we see <laughs> federal universal single payer as a response to this. And you know what? That Cobra thing that I feel like that just confirms that joke. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Cobra's I mean, it'd be a lot cheaper to buy Netflix, but Netflix yeah. is probably more useful and more affordable in general than Cobra. Yeah. Even though it's full of junk also. They might have contracts with craft services company that can do people. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, that's true. Yeah, actually, they're... Um uh, one cool thing I heard about today is that there are like 60 film productions shut down in the city, film and television productions. And every single one of those productions has a food truck attached to it for their crafty craft services department. And all of those uh, productions have like banded together and raised like some $80,000 and they're going and like feeding workers mm. and they're trying to get involved in like doing like food banks. And so it's, you know, they have the resource. They have these food trucks. They are doing really good, like triple wrapped hot meals for doctors. And, you know, we just got to expand that to housing people in hotels and feeding them too. It's almost like you could take that as a model, make it not dependent on donations or independent financing. And I don't know, broadly roll it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's I so many. Yeah. This is this is what I'm saying though. There are yeah, so many make a state? tiny models that we need to be thinking about. Can once you guys we can imagine have having a state, but like once you can frame <laughs> the question in mind that you need to answer, right? Then you can start working on solutions. Right. But until we accept and frame the question in a real and safe, accurate way, we're never going to get around to doing the important stuff. Yeah. I was going to say that uh, I'm I'm worried about that effort because I feel like. Um, very similar to uh, what happened to the Black Panther uh, school lunch program, the FBI is inevitably going to try and figure out how to undermine that one. Yeah, but you have the, the team. You have the Teamsters. You're fine. Yeah, yeah they have the team. Like the film. The film industry is its own um, FBI in a way. You combine all of the unions and that workforce and the organization, the structural bureaucratic organization that's also decentralized. Film industry, if they became like the FBI, they would be terrifying. Yeah. Because they're decentralized <laughs> again and incredibly skilled. Yeah, should just tons like, of start, cameras. Yeah. Just get them to uh to cameras, explosives, like the film animal trainers, everybody guys. Well like yeah they Hollywood mean they should is the state <laughs> God. <sighs> well well hey it's all good right yeah 
So we didn't get around to talking about United Health. Um, oh my god, shit! And it's it's record breaking profits, but I think maybe we can save that for another one. But I hey, don't know. What do you guys think? You know what? And I think it's- just you know what? Here we're going to sum it up. Three words. Well, is United Health one word or two words? It's. I think United Healthcare is one word. Okay. Yeah, I think it's two words. Yeah, one word. Really simple. End United Healthcare. Done. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And you're done. Yep. Absolute yep. ghouls. Thank you, Phil. Um, taking in, yeah, taking in record profits mostly from even though they're uh, even though they're private plan uh, members and membership is down, even though their public plan membership is down. Although they've added like four hundred thousand Medicare Advantage people. Uh, on Medicare Advantage plans, which, you know, you'll long-term listeners will know what we think about Medicare Advantage. Um, they, their, their profits are up. A lot of it from federal money. Too. Thank God so United Healthcare is doing well throughout this. Types. Yeah. I don't know what I would do if United Healthcare wasn't making money. All hope would be lost. Yeah. <laughs> then we well, really would be in uncharted territory. Yeah. We would. <laughs> I mean, I think this is, uh, that's kind of a good place to wrap. What do you guys right. think? Yeah, I think that's good. This has been a dark one, but I've actually had a really fun time. Just it was wanted good. to mm-hmm. say that. Yeah. Good and dark. Um, good and dark like usual. Um, well, this has been the death panel support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash death panel pod. Uh, you get what? Two episodes a week, our eternal love and devotion. Mm-hmm. And we appreciate it because it allows us to do the show and um join the discord we've been doing all sorts of events so if you want to come hang or talk about any of the shit that we've been like uh, railing on about in this episode that's a good place to start yep um especially if your friends are all libs who like want to just keep standing nancy um so yeah leave us a rating a review tell your friends medicare for all now solidarity forever and stay alive for the week
I'm gonna go to the hospital.